Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoctopus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorketing and the Inebriarch Podcast Networks, and as always, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. I will be your host for this very special Crow's Nest episode. I know a lot of you who know me and listen to the pirate episode I hosted said, gee, that's an awful lot of pirate stuff that Justin's talking about, none of which covering his favorite, the Pirates of Darkwater Hanna-Barbera cartoon from 1991. And you are correct. Your assessment was correct. And the reason is I had planned to do this very episode. I love Pirates of Darkwater so much, and I want to just get a portion of that passion out to the rest of you, to our, our listeners. And um, with the permission of Parasect Steve, I was allowed to do so. So uh, let's dive into it, shall we? Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Justin. Um, so let's let's talk about this. What is the uh, Pirates of Darkwater? So why don't we start out by just listening to the very epic theme song? <laughs> devoured by dark water. Only Ren, a young prince, can stop it by finding the lost 13 treasures of war. At his side is an unlikely but loyal crew of misfits. At his back, the evil pirate lord Blood, who would stop at nothing to get the treasures for himself. Adventure with the Pirates of Dark Water. All right. I mean, if that doesn't get you going, I don't know what it is. But as as a young kid just watching that in the morning, and for us it was on either Saturday or Sunday mornings, that would just pump my blood and get me going. But let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the story here. The Pirates of Dark Water is an American fantasy animated television series created by David Kirshner and produced by Hanna Barbera. The series premiered as a five-part miniseries on Fox Kids in early 1991, simply entitled Darkwater. The first season consisted of 13 episodes, included the original five-part miniseries. It aired on ABC from September to December 1991. The second season, consisting of just eight episodes, aired in syndication in the United States from 92 to 93, with a total of 21 episodes. Right, so um, it's two seasons plus the original miniseries gives us 21. And, I mean, there's just a lot to digest here. So, um, starting with the story. So, to 
understand the story. The story is about this young character who basically um, lived in a lighthouse sort of isolation. And his name is Ren. And he finds out when he meets a unlikely uh, stranger that comes and actually dies in his arms. That that was the former king of the land that he inhabits, Octopon, which is a deserted sort of uh, destroyed capital city of this world. And um, the uh, gentleman that dies in his arms turns out not only is his father, but is also the former king of Octopon. And he's uh, put a quest upon his son to find the 13 treasures of rule to uh, eliminate the dark water or an environmental plague upon the planet. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting. So just to start off um, with a little bit about it, let's talk about what dark water is exactly. So from the Pirates of Dark Water wiki, um, it tells us, from the beginning of time, the 13 treasures of rule has sealed the heart of the planet. The treasures embedded in a reef below the sea, beneath Octopon itself, have emanated a collective power, nourishing the entire planet with a harmonious life force. Then one day, years ago, the mystical stones were pried loose in a violent and unknown power. Then they were scattered far and wide in a furious storm of upheaval. From that day forward, the planet headed on a course of slow, degenerate destruction. The crippling, which first appeared only spiritually and then emotionally, soon took a living form with the substance which has become known as dark water, a substance that oozed slowly, perversely, from the fissure where the treasures were ripped from the bowels of the planet. In the episode The Beast and the Bell, we hear more from the story from Conjit, as he tells us that dark water comes from the core of the planet and was created by the great evil, the Dark Dweller who created a rift in the ocean to displace 13 treasures, which had uh, been keeping the Dweller in his dark water uh, prisoners in the core of the planet. The Dweller's servant, Corruptus, who was sent to disperse the 13 treasures of rule throughout the lands of Myr uh, to further the, speed, uh, the spread of dark water. So it's, it's kind of an interesting piece because this is definitely um, something that is an allegory to environmentalism. With the idea of dark water, you could take that as as um, oil oil spills, or you could take that as sort of like a living pollution. And um, it's very much in line with things of the time. Um, the Ninja Turtles Archie Adventure comics, uh, uh, Fern Gully is another one that comes to mind, like things like that. But in this one, the dark water kind of has its own presence, and it's just an evil substance. So and it, it uh, it's personified as kind of like a tarish black goo that floats on top of the water and eats ships and things. So, and, and uh, there's very little that can resist it. I think Leviathan skin can, but um, the treasures, uh, there's certain treasures that you can actually plunge into dis dissipate it, or you can call it with the treasures. So, you know, these, these treasures are kind of crazy. Um, so with this, there's some main characters, some of which that we've talked about already. Uh, the first one being the main character, Ren. He is our protagonist. He is a 17-year-old uh, youngster with blonde hair and blue eyes and dark skin. Um, it, it was kind of interesting because I never really knew or, or kind of thought about it back in the day with, with Ren. But I'm like, he doesn't look like, like you know he's white. I'm like, he's something different. But the whole idea was that he's on a different planet, so it didn't really matter. So it was just like, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting. He is... Um, He's a 17-year-old male. He's the hero of the show. He was born on the crystal island of Octopon, the son of King Primus. Uh, when the king left in search of the fable Lost 13 Treasures Rule to save the dying world, Ren was given over the care of Jenna. Uh, she is the lighthouse keeper. His identity was to be kept a secret, where his enemies of the throne would surely do him harm if they knew um, 
they could use him to beat Primus. And um, uh, he grew up unaware of his destiny and the true heritage. However, uh, when fate thrust him into the role of leader leader of a sea-growing crew, uh, searching for the scattered treasures of rule, he takes over his father's quest with gusto and integrity to rule uh, to his quest being. Uh, he brings a keen, often crucial understanding of weather and sea conditions, which he observes so often from the lighthouse, which I think is a detail that I, I definitely missed. So that's that's nice to have that. Um, he's neither a trained fighter or leader. His adolescent strength and uh, natural intuition see him through. And um, even when his youthful judgments might be a little off the mark, like any 17-year-old, he often has difficulty seeing the bigger picture. In time, he will mature from the challenges he faces and the friends that he makes along the quest. But for now, Ren's na na naivete and exuberance add uh, his charisma and charm. And with, along with his steadfast honesty and unyielding integrity, soon to him, um, it will win him his loyal and uh, disparate crew. Um, being uh, 17, Ren has a lot to learn about his human nature and condition and his own limitations. This mythic quest for the 13 treasures rule will bring about a slow evolution from the boy to man, and from a lighthouse keeper's charge to his rightful place and the throne of Octopon. It's, it's true because even in the first uh, couple episodes, you could see him starting to change and see things go differently for him. And uh, he's just he's just not the same character by the time you get through it. And it's it's because he's faced things. But there's certain touchstones for the character that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, OK, he's the protagonist. That's, you know, what you expect. But I mean, he is the moral compass of the show. He stops even though things are so important and the stakes are so high, he stops at times to do the right thing. And it just, it's, it's like that sort of Superman effect. Ironically enough in a moment, I'll tell you why, because he's the one who influences folks to do the right thing, even though they don't want to, or maybe not be in their self-interest. And um, the reason I say that is he was voiced by a young George Newbern. And George Newbern did the voice of Superman in the Justice League, in Justice League Unlimited, and uh, so many others, uh, uh, the voice of, of in those cartoons. So ironic that that's the character kind of touchstone that we would think is the inspiration of Superman in this character, Ren, who's just this young 17-year-old kid. And uh, he's great. George Newbern is great. And, um, I mean, it's, it's such a cool character. Um, one of the playable characters in the video game, too. So that's kind of fun. Uh, moving on to the other character. He actually came up in, in um, my episode uh, where we were talking about pirates. He was one that I would have for my crew. And his name is Ayaz, I-O-Z. And he is played by the incomparable Hector Elizondo. And um, we heard his voice just now in the theme song. So he's 30 years old. So he's seen, he's seen some stuff. He's a, um, he's a fortune hunter. And he's swayed by Ren's noble quest. He has a big kind of uh, uh, curved sword with like a big hole in it. He has a ponytail and bangs in front that kind of hang down and a weird sort of mustache. Almost, uh, he kind of looks, uh, I don't know, like <laughs> like a mutant or something. Like he doesn't look like a like a handsome character. He's got some scars on his face and stuff like that. But he's definitely charming. That's That's the thing, so... Um, he's a mercenary with a dubious integrity who will do almost anything for a handful of gold. He's a rugged adventurer who has been in more battles and street brawls than he can remember. For a time, Ayaz was a member of Bloth's nasty crew of cutthroat pirates. Looking for fast profit, Ayaz teams up with Ren, who he believes a naive boy searching for some lost treasure. Learning that Ren is actually on a quest for the fabled lost 13 treasures of rule, Ayaz becomes furious 
then is gradually won over by Ren's integrity and goodness. In fact, he becomes something of a big brother to the boy, not only protecting him in times of danger, but instructing him in the ways of a swashbuckler. Ayaz, above all things, is an expert seafarer who would po probably pilot a ship blindfolded just to feel with the feel of the ocean. Having lived the checkered past of a pirate, Ayaz probably has an enemy in every port, as well as a woman. Sometimes they're one and the same. Fortunately, he also has friends like Zuli, who we'll talk about later, who would not hesitate to aid Ayaz when the chips are down. Uh, through the dedicated, uh, though dedicated to the quest, Ayaz isn't against taking a detour now and then. When a ripe situation presents itself, he sometimes tricks Nidler into a bit of larceny by promising food. And there's actually a pretty, pretty fun um, uh, story with that one. He also has a younger sister, and um, she comes up in one of the last episodes of the series. So as we talked about it, he was voiced by Hector Alizondo, and um, I mean anybody who would remember him, I feel like his biggest role was in Pretty Woman, where you know he was there with Julia Roberts and the the gown and all that when she got dressed up, uh, the hotel concierge as it was, and um, um, the last couple episodes they couldn't get Hector Elizondo to come back, so he was voiced by Jim Cummings, so who is the uh, current and um, since the the eighties, I believe the uh, voice of Winnie the Pooh, Ka the Python. Uh, Cheshire Cat, and uh, he even did the Savage Dragon. So maybe you'll learn something new today. Who knows? On to our next of our big characters, which would be Tula. So Tula is um, a geomancer, or an ecomancer, I should say, where um, she kind of starts out as someone who is just a, a bar wench, which um, they do not pull punches, and they call her a bar wench in this kid's show cartoon. cartoon. She is um, a young woman with green eyes and long black hair. She wears kind of like a, almost like a Arabian Nights sort of uh, outfit with like a bare midriff and such like that and like pants. Very much resembles Princess Jasmine from Aladdin, but in pink rather than blue. Um, which is interesting because her voice was voiced by Jodie Benson, who did the voice of the Little Mermaid from the title movie Little Mermaid Ariel. So it's pretty cool. One of the coolest things about this was figuring that out early on when I was a kid, having just seen Little Mermaid and it being such like an amazing animation that I, I just loved. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the Little Mermaid's voice on the show. Wow, this must be a great show if it has that, you know, and that's a Disney actress. So little did I know much about anything at the time, but it was it was really exciting to kind of, you know, just figure out that piece. And uh, and I like that a lot. And it led to my enjoyment because I really like this character. Uh, Tula is a 17 year old. Uh, Tula is an exotic adventurous and a tomboy who finds her destiny in the elemental arts of ecomancy. She's a 17 year old tab tavern wench who overhears Ren talk of setting out in search of the lost 13 treasures of rule. When she turned up as a stowaway on their stolen ship, the Wraith, she quickly established herself as an asset to the group. While Tula is a warrior and can hold her own against any man, she's also deep, nurturing sensitivity towards the environment of her living planet. A sensitivity which, early in the series, develops into the elemental powers of the Ecomancer, one who can become one with the elements and manipulate them through intense concentration. So kind of like magic, but all related to planet. So water, air, things things like that. Um, maybe maybe a little bit different than, than like... A, the world of Avatar the Airbender, something kind of similar to that, though. Uh, visually, this power is manifested in a uh, in sort of a lightning that bathes her body and can be directed for the desired effect. 
However, she's not all-powerful. She can't just point a finger and manipulate things from afar. She needs to be in contact for what she wishes to manipulate. And there must be some sympathetic connection uh, for an object for which her power can travel like branches of a tree or roots. Um, as an ecomancer, Tula has an uncanny affinity for animals, um, which, uh, and that's why you can always find Niddler around her. He has a slight crush on Tula. Though her sheer concentration, uh, she can tame the wildest of beasts. Uh, she can also get um, things like she can understand animals, like a leviathan, which happens in a uh, later episode. Uh, she can even get a Dargon to do her building, her bidding. But these achievements take great concentration and the stress of an, eff of an effort that can leave her weak and vulnerable. Despite these limitations, however, Tula's ecomantic powers can serve as a godsend for our group, especially when they find themselves in a desperate situation that can't be solved with a sword or an arrow. So. Tula's, Tula's a badass. Um, moving on to the, the comic relief, and um, this is one of the funnest things. Niddler, who is their monkey bird, Niddler starts out the entire series by capturing Ren from the lighthouse after uh, Primus shows up. And uh, so he's kind of the linchpin that gets everybody involved in all of this. And he is very much like the comic relief. Um, the He's a monkey bird, so they have kind of like a monkey face and monkey hands, but like the body of like a giant parrot. Really cool, very colorful. Niddler saves Ren li Ren's life, becoming a loyal friend. Uh, the comical Marion creature is a cross between a spider monkey and a parrot. He kidnaps Ren and takes him to Bloth's ship, the Maelstrom, but then helps him escape, becoming Ren's best friend. Though cowardly when the chips are down, Niddler comes through in a pinch. The way he does... It's always good for some comic relief in this high-action series. Niddler is forever preoccupied with creature comforts, from bedding, food, particularly mingo melons, and shelter, to just staying out of the sun or slightest rain. He's the child of the group in our childlike impulses. He involves himself in treasure hunting most reluctantly, but the point of the bag of mangoes uh, in the simpering simian will brave the lava pits and ice sharks to fill his rumbling belly. He mixes normal-sounding speech with an animal-sounding ah, 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 and growls, and he has a knack for being able to speak bastardized versions of many of the dialects of our heroes that he encounters, often to comically incorrect results. Niddler has a great loyalty to Ren and has flown him out of many a tight situ situation. Even so, his judgment can be influenced by fear of danger or his bottomless stomach. So, originally, um, he was a character that was voiced by Roddy McDowell. And if you know Roddy McDowell, you know him from his work on Planet of the Apes, or I mean, even going back to, I think he was he did the voice of the White Seal, Ricky Tiki Taffy, th those sort of things. It's very, um, it, it's very recognizable when you hear it. Um, it's a stark difference from what we got because you don't hear that. That is just uh, something they actually replaced him because he was asking for too much money. So instead of doing that, they went with um, uh, Frank Welker who does many of the voices on this show, and incredibly the creatures. He started out as doing just the <laughs> sort of sounds for Niddler. And now, when you listen to the show, that's the voice that you hear. It's the, the wonderful Frank Welker. Really cool. So um, with, with this, no character arc or story would be complete without just an amazing villain. And this story has that. Much like Daredevil has the Kingpin, uh, this series has Bluff. The Pirate Lord, who is just insane. He's listed as being ageless. 
He's a giant sort of greenish gray character with black beard, a booming voice. And I mean, he wears this armor, like a pink tunic with spikes on it. He has sharpened nails. He's missing one eye. So his eye is just kind of like a gold ball with like a lightning strike sort of uh, scar over it. And um, I mean, they call him fish lips at one point. <laughs> He's got some blue lips. You know, it's it's kind of funny. Um, he is played by uh, Brock Peters. And um, Brock Peters has done a lot of voice work and things. At one point, he did the voice of uh, Darth Vader. Um, it's really a deep voice. You know, like Brock Peters, it's it's unmistakable. And um, Bloth is just savage. I mean, he constantly is throwing people into the uh, belly of his ship, the, the uh, Maelstrom, which is seems to be made of bones. It's just so creepy. And it opens up and takes in other ships, and then his pirate raiders get him there. He's ruthlessly cruel. He's cruel to animals. He's cruel to his own crew. He's just hes just horrible. And his main uh, idea is to seek the treasures of rule for himself so he can control the seas with dark water, which doesn't really become known until kind of halfway through the series. But he is just, I mean, what a villain. You know, like if you had to run from someone who's scary, it's this. So Bloth is the savage alien pirate and the main antagonist of the series. The cold-blooded high seas marauder sails in in the search of the 13 treasures of rule. He kidnapped Primus and held him aboard his monster warship, the Maelstrom, trying to get the information to the whereabouts of the treasures that the king and his captains hid. When Primus escaped and passed the mantle of the quest over to his lost son, Ren, Bloth went after the youth with a vengeance. Now they're sworn enemies, and the race to find the jewels comprises the central conflict of the Pirates of Darkwater. Bloth will stop at nothing to gain the treasures, and will give them the power to control dark water and rule this planet for his own profit. With his bloodthirsty cutthroat crew, this ruthless pirate raves at anything or anyone who will stand in his way over his evil mission. He's quick to fly into a rage, and he's been even known to throw members of his own crew into the pit of the horror beast, the Constrictus, which he keeps in the massive hold of his ship. And that looks like basically a worm that has the face of the inside of an alien, um, the, the xenomorph. It's it's really gruesome. And again, this is a kid's show, guys. And they're actually showing people die. It's insane. So a cunning manipulator, Bloth, Bloth is both able to draw on his wealth of historical information about Mir uh, and uh, or Mer and his legend in lore and uh, use it to turn any situation into his own good. He has a photographic memory, especially about anyone who has ever crossed him. Bloth's Achilles heel is that he fancies himself a cut, a cut above the scum who sail in his ship. In truth, he's only ever hardened salt cully. Um, he's only another hardened salt cully. Okay, that must be a, a, a shipper's term. I'll have to ask uh, what that means. But he's forever looking for ways to align himself with a better class. Ren is able to use this against Bloth, tricking him into situations where the corpulent pirate can be stung by his own bloated ego. That's wonderful. Bloth is just a, a crazy, crazy bad guy. Um, scary. I mean, just in ability, in reach, and in everything else. Like, he's someone that is chasing you, and you know it. You know, you're, you're just like, oh my god, this guy, if he catches me, he's going to kill me. So, um, those are the main characters. There's, there's some other characters, like Zuli. Zuli is kind of like a big, kind of like a barbarian pirate with um, spiky red hair and like braided beards. He was voiced by Dick Gothier, who was kind of a famous uh, uh, actor, and uh, he did, played Robin Hood once. So um, he's pretty good. He is a really good friend of Ayaz, 
and uh, he's becomes a pretty good foil in comic uh, relief besides Niddler in the series. He's pretty cool. Um, Mantis, who is voiced by Peter Cullen, and he is kind of like like the lieutenant, the um, the the first mate on the Maelstrom, and he is just like he's got such a drawn out face, and um, he looks like a praying mantis. It's probably how he got his name. It's it's really gross. Um, he leads the um, the Dagrons who are the um, sort of lizards that fly that the pirates go and attack other ships with. So, and voiced by Peter Cullen, pretty cool. Um, lesser character, which is really funny considering the actor that plays this character, but his name is Clunk. And um, it's K-L-O-N-K, voiced by Tim Curry. Uh, Clunk is somebody, he is the only pirate that Bloth has ever thrown to the Constrictus that has escaped, but not unscathed. He lost one of his feet. So he has a peg leg. He's often called the pig face runt, but he is one of the more effective pirates on the crew. So I think that's why Bloth tolerates when he gets um, uh, talk back from him and such. But it's it's pretty interesting. Um, This is around the time that Tim Curry was doing uh, Peter Pan and the Pirates, where he did uh, Captain Hook. So that's kind of where, you know, we have the voice acting from Tim Curry. Similar, similar sort of things. It's such a lesser role, and you're just like, wow, he totally chews this up. It's great, and it adds to the richness of everything in this world, where you've got the really dark bloth, and then kind of the stoic mantis. And then you've got Clunk, who talks like this. Almost like he's he's like a Russian accent or something, and uh, he's just such a an interesting foil. Like, they have Niddler on the other side, and there they have Clunk. Um, cool thing about Clunk is his peg leg actually turns into sort of a boomerang, and we see that. And um, I mean, he's he's a shrewd pirate, like, and he looks like he's nothing, but a lot of times he's the one that gets them in a lot of trouble. Like he'll kidnap someone, or he'll talk to a slaver, or something like that, and get uh, Ren uh, in trouble and and captured. So so Clunk uh, is a big part of the series. So. Um, I was mentioning that there's some episodes on this. Uh, originally, I had thought there was only 13 episodes, but that's not true. That's not the case. I actually picked up a um, a DVD set of this um, at a con. There's always those booths that you go to to cons, and they have something that you can buy that you know is out of print or anything else like that. Um, sort of uh, a leg of some sort, a shoe leg. Uh, you know, something like that. I can't think of the word hint, hint, but um, less than legitimate, we shall say. But um, in this, I'm going to give you the episode list just so we can go through. There's 21 episodes, uh, starting with the first, The Quest, then Dishonor, then Breakup, Betrayal, Victory, Andorus, A Drop of Darkness, The Beast in the Bell, Panacea, King Niddler, The Collection, the Little Leviathan, The Dark Dweller, The Dark Disciples, The Ghost Pirates, The Dragon Master, The Game Players of Undar, The Pandawa Plague, Sister of the Sword, about Ayaz's sister, The Soul Stealer, and then The Living Treasure. So uh, this is kind of an interesting story, too, because these episodes started out on a different network with just the five uh, episode sort of proof of concept and then it went into a second season which was great but what happened i mean there's 
it was on from 1991 and then syndicated and on until 1993. So two years is a long time in cartoon world. Um, so uh, just kind of what I have found out from this is that there's there's kind of like a long and uh, sordid history of what happened, but it comes down to the idea that the show was costing too much money based on the delays because it was too hard to animate. So they sent it over to uh, where it was being um, animated overseas, and they had just such a hard time. They're like, we, we don't know what to do here. What, what do you want? What the hell's a Dagron? What the hell's a Mingo Melon? You know, that kind of thing. So they had all of their existing stuff, and then we're waiting for nearly a year to get anything back. So you have your first five episodes, and then you've got the next couple episodes that come out to the uh, original 13. Then you've got you're waiting for this 13 to 21 to come out. Well, what happened in the meantime is a lot of the actors and animations and all that while waiting for this had moved on to another show, another show that has been talked about on Retro Reductibus before. The show is SWAT Cats. When you see SWAT Cats, it has a lot of the same actors on it and it's the same animators and such, and it costs less. So if anybody asks what happened to Pirates of Darkwater, why can't we have it, all that stuff? Well, it cost too much money. It was too hard to animate, and they had already moved on to SWAT Cats, which was successful, and there was no reason for them to stop at that point. So that's what, what happened. Um, and I did have some other notes here just about um, about the lands and, and things like that. So getting, getting a little deeper into this, um, so the land of Myrrh, is something it's an alien planet so it's not at all on earth it's a rocky planet that's primarily covered with water and has two moons to control the tides there are still many unexplored lands and 60 percent of the population lives in four major cities so that's that's what we see a lot and it really lends itself well to these uh folks on pirate ships just kind of going from place to place in that episodic sort of way very similar, I think, to kind of like the early uh, tales of Conan, who he was kind of uh, just traveling around and such, um, you know. But I mean, that's that's the thing. It was it was something different, and and when I was a kid, it really kind of spoke to me, just kind of liking that. But um, this would not be a retro Octopus podcast without uh, talking about video games, right? So there were two video games that spurned from this. And actually, the video games kind of completed the trilogy. So things that you hadn't seen yet before or anything else like that, um, that's where you get your closure for this. I still hope that one day it comes back because they did start. There was a six-issue uh, miniseries of comics from Marvel Comics. I believe it was from Star Comics, which was their, their label back then in 91. So um, I hope one day that we see something back, maybe by a Boom Studios or something. But um, so... There were two games that were released, uh, one for Super Nintendo and one from Genesis uh, in the early 90s. Uh, it was released in May of 1994. So here's the overview. Um, Pirates of Dark Water uh, is a 2D brawler game developed for Super Nintendo by Sunsoft, while the Genesis game was a traditional side-scroller with light combat. Um, the SNES version is more of an action brawler with a final fight in Streets of Rage vibe. The game features the main crew of the 90s show, Ren, Ayaz, and Tula searching for the treasures of rule in order to rid the world of, of Mur uh, from dark water and return Mur and Ren's homeland, Octopon, for its former glory. Here's the story, taken from the game's intro. 
On the distant and watery world of Mur, the dying king Primus escapes. The evil pirate Lord Bloth to reveal Ren his past and his destiny. Ren, the son of Primus, must save the planet of Mur and his home Octopons from the deadly dark water. By collecting the 13 treasures of rule, Ren can control the dark water and return Mur to Octopon to their former glory. Ren and his crew, Ayaz, the hardened ex-pirate, and Tula, the adventure-seeking heroine, must embark on the journey and that will consistently test Ren and his crew's strength and dedication towards the quest for the treasures of rule. The evil pirate Lord Bloth and his army of ruthless pirates also seek the treasures of rule. Bloth and his ship, the Maelstrom, are always one step behind. If Bloth can collect the treasures before Ren and his ragtag crew, the planet of Myrrh is doomed in the dark water and Bloth's tyranny forever. So this takes place uh, in an eccentric setting, utilizing the source materials melding of swashbuckling adventures, sword and sorcery of fantasy, and road warrior-inspired fashion aesthetics. Drawing from the cartoon's backstory, players fight rival pirates as well as fantastic creatures set to hinder the heroes from fighting the treasure of rule by the evil pirate Lord Bloth. And it features eight different stages. So for the gameplay, there's uh, three different characters that you can play as. And I kind of mentioned this earlier. So the player can control one of the three main characters from the show, Ren, who's the balanced fighter. He's well-balanced, medium strength, medium agility. Ayaz, who's the heavy, high strength, low agility. And then Tula, who's the quick, low strength, and high agility. So kind of standard, you know, uh, what we saw for these. Like, you can pick your low, middle, middle high. Uh, the version differences. In the Genesis version, the Pirates of Darkwater is a side-scrolling platformer. Weapons and items are found throughout levels without much else to differentiate this light con- combat. The character models are much smaller and muddy compared to the SNES version, but the levels are more closely follow the arc of the early episodes of the series. The SNES version, uh, so Super Nintendo version, is a beat-em-up with a very similar vibe to Final Fight or Golden Axe, which must make Parasite Eve so happy, because we know how he loves Golden Axe. Um, unlike the Genesis version, each character plays noticeably different. The SNES version sports much improved graphics, color, music for our buddy 8-Bit Alchemy. I mean, come on. You know, colors, music, and conveying the cartoon's unique style. So those are them. Um, Retro games, you know, you you can find them. I don't believe that they're incredibly expensive. Um, Or you can get them on emulator, which is uh, really kind of fun. Um, You know, for this, uh, the next thing I want to talk about was Pirates of Dark Water has its own unique slang. It's a language unto itself, and obviously it's English, but it's also something else where they're using something to describe words that are kind of like swear words. The first one that always comes up is Noijitot, you know, which uh, seems to be the equivalent of like damn it or god damn it or something like that. And just as a kid, it was cool to have that sort of thing. It's like, ah, oh, I dropped my Jitotin pencil, you know, and that was me in fourth grade, and everyone's looking at me like I was absolutely insane, which I was. So, um, you know, but it's it's funny because it's so widely used by all the characters. It's not just, oh, Ayaz has a foul mouth. Yes, he's a foul mouth sailor, but all of them kind of are at some point. And then there's uh, Chongo Longo or Chongo, which is, oh, wow, I'm a, I'm surprised. Like, it's a, a feeling of surprise. Like, oh, I didn't see that coming. You know, um, Naja Dog, which would be the equivalent of the word bitch. like. Uh, you know, go get this, you Naja dog, something like that. A uh, krell eater, a uh, crap eater, or kind of like uh, someone that eats uh, like fish. 
you know, uh, something like, ew, you know, you eat, you eat detritus at the bottom of the sea, you krill eater, things like that. You know, um, but, but the slang was such, such a fun part, you know, and obviously Noijitat was the biggest one and, you know, the Minga melons and, and things like that, like the words that they use to kind of weave into everything. It's, it was a really fun part of this. And that was another part that I gravitated to as a kid because you couldn't say swear words in front of your parents, but you could say Noijitat. It was kind of like getting away with something. It was kind of funny, you know, um, so there was also um, some trivia that we came up on this, which was was pretty interesting stuff. Uh, let's see, we have here. So which which I like, and IMDb had some of this thing. Um, one of the few Saturday morning cartoons that actually shows characters dying in the episode Breakup. Ayaz and Tula are fleeing from guards in revolt of Pandawa, and one of the guards falls into the water where dark water engulfs him. In the episode A Drop of Darkness, an old woman named Cray. Um, tries to make a, a youth potion and it doesn't turn out well where instead it ages her to the point where she becomes old and dies in a horrific body horror moment because she uses that drop of dark water and then she ends up becoming dark water and just like dying with like these terrible black tar streaks on her face like she melts it's insane and and it is not lost upon uh, a, a kid who's watching this in 1991 that says wow this show about pirates is really not pulling any punches. Due to the good ratings of the show received, the producers decided to extend the adventures by finding fewer treasures per season. While working on the second season, the episode The Dark Disciples to Living Treasure, um, Phil Cartoons, the overseas animation studio, had some difficulties animating the last four episodes of the Pandawa Plague in the Living Treasure. This caused problems for Hanna-Barbera Animation Studio, as I was mentioning, and the episodes were coming in late preventing the show from meeting their dates. This contributed to the show's cancellation in November of 92. The last four episodes were finished and aired six months later, May of 1993. By that time, most of the crew and the show were in the middle of production of SWAT Cats. So, um, and uh, some of them were in um, doing Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Uh, due to failure to meet the air dates, Jane Barbera was replaced by Catherine Winder as executive in charge of production later Hanna-Barbera shows like SWAT Cats, The Radical Squadron, and Two Stupid Dogs would replace uh, Pirates of Dark Water. So I, I'm a big fan of Two Stupid Dogs as well. Um, I think it has a banger of a theme song. So I hear that sometimes, you know. But the show was originally released as Dark Water. After five episodes, executives Hanna-Barbera uh, decided to make the show less serious, um, and um, from episode six, Andorus, the show was named Pirates of Dark Water, less serious compared to those first five episodes. But this this kind of goes back to a lot of things that we talk about, and I, I've definitely heard uh, the guys talk about before, the idea of having something that's not dumbed down for children, that children gravitate towards, even if it's darker with violence and things like that. I mean, that could be like, maybe you watched Stephen King growing up, like, or read the books, you watch the movies, um, you know, it could be a gritty thing, Batman, Dark Knight Returns, any, anything like that, like those sort of things that I do think that, um, you know, we, we kind of gravitated towards things. I'm like that with the Dark Crystal, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have watched that as early as I did or Return to Oz, but I love them, you know, and, and, uh, my, my kids, uh, you know, they're still angry at me for showing them the never ending story, but that's fine. 
After the first five episodes, Roddy McDowell requested a higher salary for his role of Midler, but the studio denied his request, so he quit and left the production, and Frank Welker, who did the squawking voices for Nidler, took over the role. Uh, in the Warner Brothers DVD version of the show, the ending credits for the first episode of the third episode are, cor- are incorrect. For the first episode, the ending credits are supposed to be uh, with an octopus in the background, and the end credits of the first episode, the writers of that episode, should be listed as Kelly Ward, Mark Young, and Flint Dill. Um, in the end credits of the third episodes, they should be listed as Lane Record and Mark Young. Wow, that is a deep cut, and I, I wish I had not even said anything. So, <laughs> but that's, but that's fine. That's here nor there. So that's that's some trivia about Pirates of Dark Water, and is just uh, something that you can look into if you like. And uh, I, I highly, highly recommend uh, taking a look at it. Um, before I get into some final thoughts on it, I just wanted to talk about the um, other pieces of media. So obviously, there's the video games on the uh, SNES and the Genesis, the Sega Genesis. Um, there's action figures that came out. So they actually made action figures for the characters of Ren, Ayaz, Zuli, uh, Nidler, Mantis, Clonk, Bloth, and their ship, the Wraith. So the the Wraith is pretty cool. Um, we haven't talked much about it. It's it's kind of like a small schooner ship that has a uh, tilted sail that they use at least twice as a glider to go over a wind current and off of like a waterfall. And it's tiny and maneuverable, and it can definitely outperform the Maelstrom, which again is kind of like Bloth's giant bone ship, which is uh, the stuff of nightmares. So um, they're easy to find. And uh, especially loose, you can find Ren and Ayaz and Zuli and and Clonk. I probably will get a Clonk. Um, you know, and Mantis, they're they're awesome. I I definitely have the Bloth and I have the the Midler. And uh, you folks can't see it, but I've got them here, and they're very much in the style of the '90s figures. I mean, he kind of looks like a She-Ra figure, uh, Midler, but I mean, he's super true to the show. The figures themselves were kind of cool. I mean, they were very basic though. So it was very much decided, uh, designed to be played with and not sort of a collectible, not at that point yet. Um, I've only seen them make a Tula as like a custom figure or anything else like that, but I think that would have been so cool to have one. I definitely love those characters. And um, you can find them. You can find a mint on card. There's a lot of uh, collectors from early 90s that have them. I've seen them all. They're cool. Uh, Bloth and Zuli seem to be the two that you see at most uh, bargain bins and things like that, but... Again, Bloth is like a substantial character that's pretty, pretty gross, you know, um, and of course I loved it. So, and they all came with their weapons. So it was, it was fun. Um, just for final thoughts and kind of a review on this, uh, it's, it's something that was before its time, you know, it's, um, it would probably work better today if they were doing it because they could do it with, um, more technology. It's got such a world-building vibe that it just really appealed to me, and, and it was one of those things that I just genuinely loved. Um, they didn't dumb it down for kids. It was something where you had kind of those undertones of environmentalism in there, but really what works better than any of the stories, and, and, and the story was good, is the connection between the characters. You know, you believe that Ayaz cares for Ren, even though you can see that Ayaz is having a conscious uh, crisis of conscience because somebody owes him money and if he goes after that person that owes him money he's going to mess up Ren's quest and it it all is tied together it, it comes back and there's so many p- 
points that are are picked up. It is episodic. If you miss an episode, it's like, oh, well, well, I didn't miss anything big. Well, yeah, they explain why that guy's father is after him. You know, it's something like that. There's guest stars in it, like uh, Rene Abenois. You know, uh, Odo from DS9 is in it, and he he plays a character. You've got, uh, I think, um, Stacy Keach is in it. You know, there's there's people that you recognize: Jim Cummings, Frank Welker, like all the great voices of of cartoon yore that uh, show up, and and those are the ones where that you'll recognize if you're uh, sort of a cartoonophile like I am. Uh, from back in the day where you're like, Oh, that's so cool. And, and the voices were just so well recorded when, when you listen to it, it, it doesn't sound like other cartoons. And I think that's one of the beauties of this being a Hanna-Barbera rather than being something else. And, and I know I've talked about this before because I was a big fan of Thundar the Barbarian. I still am. I, I love that. And it's got such a similar vibe, but it's on a different planet and it's, with water but also it's there's galtar and the golden lance or there's a, a another one the don bluth um dragon slayer like those sort of things like i always loved all of these things and i mean there's there's like 10 episodes of galtar it's like or 13 or something there's not a lot but like i love the concept and how the characters interact similarly with uh thundar the barbarian you know it's just as much about like oh uh ukla doesn't like water you know, as it is about, oh, you've got to get away from this guy with the magic eye that turns people into fish, you know, or something. I, I don't know. But that's that's really what it comes down to. It's like, what happens? Like, how does Tula feel about Ren? And, and um, how does Ayaz feel about Tula? Will he ever trust her again after she gassed him with a gun that shoots poison gas? That that sort of thing. And Ren just constantly meeting these people that see his, his him as his father and you know, um, trying not to relive those same mistakes that he made. And it's it's got an importance to it. And, and I really kind of gravitated towards that. Um, and I mean, there's subjects that were just not talked about, like slavery and death and environmental co uh, conservation and greed with uh, a strong moral compass, which was uh, what we had for Ren. And he was kind of our everyman guide through this. And being being a, a younger person when I watched it, I, I felt like I had a similar pers uh, perspective to him. Looking back now, it's I, I guess maybe I could I could relate a little bit more to Ayaz than I could before. But I would hope that I would have the same idealism that Ren has going through. Maybe feel a bit more like Nidler. <laughs> but um, it it's something that's great, and and um, I enjoyed it, and it's it's great for me at least. So it's it's something that I would say if you're interested in it, if you're going to check it out, check it out as a whole. Do a binge watch, watch an episode a day or an episode a week or something else like that. And you know, if if there's other people who are interested in this sort of thing, like if you know people who love animation, you could join a group. You could you could check that out. And I mean, always, always you could be posting in the uh, Retro Octopus group because uh, I will always uh, comment on these because I love them so much. But um, it is currently available on Vudu. You can get every episode uh, for, I think, um, I think it was like thirty bucks or something like that, maybe twenty four ninety nine. Or you can get all of them for uh, one ninety nine a piece. Um, I, as I mentioned, I had picked them up semi legally at a Comic Con uh, at one of those booths you go to that has some sort of leg 
you know, you can fill in the blank there, uh, content and, um, you can buy it. I think I paid $30 for, um, a physical DVD copy of all 21 episodes, which was an absolute shock to me that they even had 21 episodes and it's, it's just a lot of fun. I would highly recommend it. And, um, it's, it's something that I'm passionate about and hopefully in listening to this, you could, uh, understand why and just why it was something that was uh, so important to me. So, um, with that, um, that uh, just about wraps up the episode. Uh, if you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope that you enjoyed this week's journey over the treacherous dark waters of things that made it awesome growing up. Uh, it definitely made my growing up awesome from 91 to 93 and then in syndication afterwards. If you liked what you heard, please hit up our popular Facebook group and subscribe to the show on your podcast app of choice. You can find us on X at Reductopus, and now on Good Pods, where you can like the episodes and you can leave us reviews, and they are much, much appreciated. As is any of your feedback. I have been your rotating host today, um, and again, we are part of the Inebriart Podcast Network, and the Retro Doctopus is a full-fledged member of the Dorkening Podcast ne- Network. So, if you do get a choice, please check out our sister shows like Shameless Plug, Epic Tales from the Sewers with Justin Cooper. Throwdown Thursday with Patsy and Ashes. Let's not with uh, Splash Pages, Comics Paradox, Generation Playlist, Shameless Plug, A Bear at Night, Nerds of Unusual Origin, Hooked on Movies, Still Token with Wicked Horror Show, That Strange Show. Ah, there's so many, but they're they're all great. But thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, hearing my presentation on one of my favorite shows and. Um, Thanks, guys. Uh, We'll catch you next time on Retro Reductibus.